You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. To everybody out there, you have made it back to the Making Data Simple podcast. Um, I'm sure you already know this, but if you're here, you could be self-characterized as incredibly smart since you're here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, smart, good-looking people arrive here, so no pressure in, in the future. And speaking of, I've not seen your picture, Scott, but sp speaking of smart and good-looking people, I've got Scott Hebner today, who's the vice president and CMO of IBM Data and AI. I'll give a quick little lead in, and then as always, I'm gonna turn it over to Scott to really give us the, the real goods here. But Scott currently leads a global marketing and digital channel organization. And this includes, and, and again, if I get this wrong, you'll have the chance to correct everything I say that's misrepresented. <laughs> but uh, hybrid data management, data ops and governance, data science and, and, and AI, um, he's leading uh, initiatives like uh, multi-cloud, Watson Anywhere, which we probably need to talk about, our journey to AI, the AI ladder methodology. I'll just, look, I'll stop there. Welcome, Scott. I appreciate you taking the time today to, to talk to our listeners. You know, Al, thank you very much. And yeah, it's great to be on a podcast because I look 40 and feel 40. <laughs> so how is that? Now, I think you had the, the, you ha you had the intro right. I mean, as you can imagine, IBM has you know, a dozen or so business units, one of which is data and AI. And that's what I lead marketing for. So that's our full array of data management, data ops, you know, um, AI development, data science, our, our Watson application suite. Uh, it's the full range of um, the products that we sell around the space of data and AI. So is it which data is, or data? That's what I want to know. That's the first question. People tell me that all the time that if I'm going to have this job, I got to pronounce it right. But it's data, isn't it? No, <laughs> I don't know your marketing. Maybe I need to switch. It does sound a little bit better. Maybe now that I'm thinking about it, data, it's got I a little in bit New York, of ring. In New York, hey, I but, think it's it's data or data. Right, I'll say data. Right. I'll mix it up. We'll, we'll keep everyone on their toes. Fantastic. Well, here here's what I also know. If if your looks are 40, then you must have started <laughs> incredibly young because I think you celebrated your 30th anniversary, didn't you? Um, I did, but well, for the, so you for started the record, when you were like eight, ten, somewhere around there. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, you got me on that one. But truth of the matter is, I, I got into IBM right after college. Mm -hmm. So, so if you do the math, okay, maybe I'm a little bit more than fifty. But you don't know <laughs> that because it's a it's a podcast. So yeah, that's fine. Nobody knows. You're forty, as far as we're concerned. Yeah, I've been around for a while. So that's the good news. Good the bad news. The bad news is the good news is I've been around a while here at IBM. The bad news is I've been around here for a while at IBM. So, <laughs> well, the good goes. news is forty is a good year, so we'll stick with that. So, describe us. You know, look, I gave a little bit of a lead in, but how would you describe the role that you hold within IBM, in your own words? In my own words, the way I would describe it is um, we are part of our software business at IBM and our cloud business, and um, obviously one of the most significant investment trends that we see developing in the marketplace today is around AI. And uh, when you, whether you look at Gartner or Forrester or um, you know MIT Sloan, Business um, uh, Boston Consulting Group, McKinsey, everyone has it a top investment area. We see clients put an enormous amount of uh, 
additional investment and plans over the next several years into this whole space of AI. And so what our mission is and what my mission is from a marketing perspective is to help our clients um, begin and accelerate the journey to AI. And obviously, AI starts with your data. Um, data is the lifeblood of AI. And so we've created a prescriptive approach that we call the AI ladder um, that is designed to help clients sort of begin that journey. And as we look at our clients, we'll say between 4 and 8% of them have made any significant progress with AI already. Many of them happen to be IBM clients that we've been working with for a while. We've learned a lot. And so now we're on the mission to you know, help more and more companies uh, take advantage of the value of AI. Does, I, I've got to pause for just a minute. So I look at your background. You, I graduated electrical engineering. It looks like you graduated electrical engineering. Yes, University that, of Mass? Yep, that is true. Computer and electrical engineering. So real quick for us, how do you go from a tech head to more of a marketing? You must, you must be have multiple talents. Well, let's put it this way. I think I realized in college that um, I wasn't really going to be an engineer. I mean, that was really hard stuff, if I remember correctly. And I was an, and I was an intern um, at IBM my junior year and my senior year. And IBM ended up hiring me back into the same department that I was in. Uh, that back then was working with uh, software uh, vendors and people that built applications. And I became part of the technical staff there to help them, you know, work with IBM, what technologies to use, help them with their architecture and all that. So it was like a pseudo technical job, uh, which over the years kind of grew into market development and marketing. And um, one thing that's true about IBM, obviously being a technology company, is that the marketing people need to be very technical also. Um, because we're selling some pretty complex um, technology and concepts like, uh, in this case, artificial intelligence and data virtualization. You have to understand how that works and what clients can do with it. So um, I think as life went on, I, I evolved to where my sweet spot was, which was, um, I think, understanding the technology, understanding how clients can benefit from it, and then being able to you know, get that messaging together and drive the marketing around it um, versus a, a straight technical track which perhaps I might not have done so well in. So it sounds like you've been really that sweet spot in, in, you know, again, don't let me put words in your mouth, but it's around business development, market development, as you put it, and communicating the, 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 the architecture or how to achieve success within that architecture, given the technical foundation, something like that. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, um, again, if you're going to sell, let's say Watson Studio or Watson Natural Language Understanding um, or data virtualization or data ops. Uh, if you're responsible for marketing that, you have to understand what it is, how it works, which gets you into a pretty heavy um, technical layer, right? Because um, customers that are gonna wanna buy from you and that are gonna be interested in at least investigating you um, need to kind of understand the details of it. It's not like selling sneakers or coffee or something like that. Um, so I think that's helped me out um, a good deal here at IBM, being a, more of a technical marketing who understands the products uh, than perhaps just someone who does marketing communications or campaigns or something of that nature. So do you live in New York? Is that where you're at right now? I live in Connecticut, in Newtown, Connecticut, and I work out of New York. I'm actually in Austin, Texas right now, where the <laughs> team is. So um, I travel a decent amount, but yeah, my home base is um, in Armonk in New York. 
So you're a New Yorker then? I am a New Yorker. What's your your football team? Uh, The Denver Broncos. What the hell? Now I'm completely confused. All right, so here's how this works. So I was born in Boulder, Colorado. Okay. I lived there for seven or eight years, and my father is an avid Broncos fan. Uh, So I grew up because of those two reasons to be a Broncos fan, and I think I've missed two, maybe two or three football games in 20-something years, so... Um, Are you kidding me? So you go back every every Sunday for that? Well, I don't go. No, I got Direct TV. Oh, so, all right. So. All right, you're watching it. You're you're getting. You got the live stream. All right. I thought you were talking about. Hey, look, I'm a season ticket holder, and by God, I'm gonna. I know people like that. By the way, yeah, um, no, that's not no. you. All right. In the, in the early days, you had to go to a bar every Sunday because yeah. they had all. You know, because it, it wasn't Direct TV, and then I ended up getting that. Um, but yeah, so. Broncos fan living in Connecticut for the last God knows how long. Let's let's say for argument's sake, more than forty years, given our previous conversation, and um, you know, working out in New York. Nice. All right, I got it. So let's go back to marketing the latter day AI. I I mean, look, we're all talking about it. I think it is a simple, prescriptive approach, and we talked about that on this podcast before. Uh, the foundation is collect. You know, where you make data simple, you go up to organize where. You know, it's about um, what it says about. It's about cleansing, integrating, cataloging. Then you move to analyze where you're able to build. Uh, so you start building models, run models, deploy models. And then you get into to the infuse uh, space where, in my mind, it's, it's like using use cases with pre-built applications. But when I provide that to, to when I do my pitch, I really try to get down and make it real because I love the simplicity but it's, it, and it makes sense. People get it. And, and the reason I, I tie it back to like what I call the maturity curve so I can figure out where clients are, where they need to get, where they start, you know, current state, desired state. You tell me how to best market it because I think a lot of clients I talk to say, hey, look, it's, I get it. Uh, but man, you're making, now you're oversimplifying. So how do you, how do you find the right balance? Well, I think, the, I think the whole thought starts with um, a, a great quote that was in the MIT Sloan um, pretty deep study that, that they did a couple years ago, which is, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, but no matter how sophisticated your AI algorithms are, it's basically for not unless you understand the data. In other words, the data preparation, the data, um, you know, making your data ready for AI is perhaps the most difficult and the most important part of your AI investments because garbage in, garbage out, Right. And the whole notion of, a, of an AI model, whether it's machine learning, deep learning, whether it's a cognitive um, capability like text-to-speech or speech-to-text, it is a living thing. It continues to learn. It continues to generate and consume data. And you have to have an information architecture that is tuned for that kind of world. So when we think of the AI ladder, it all starts with this notion of modernizing your data state for an AI multi-cloud world. Um, and what that really means is almost every client we deal with have incredibly siloed um, sources of data. Um, some 80% of their data is siloed in different clouds, different data stores. Um, some of it is fast data from sensors. Some of it is structured, some's unstructured. Some of it's uh, social data. They have hundreds if not thousands of sources of data. And that is the lifeblood of what makes AI deliver the outcomes that people want to get from it. Um, so you have to make your data ready for AI. 
and most clients, if not all of them, um, do not have their data in a state today that is conducive to being successful with AI. So it all starts with that modernization effort. And that's what we mean by modernize. And to go one step further on that, there's two components to that. Um, one is the ability to virtualize all that data. So if you get yourself into a situation where you have to move data around, in other words, replicate it, centralize it in some sort of data lake, um, move it up to a cloud environment, the worst thing you want to do is get, you know, start taking data and ripping it away from its origin and its source that should be continuous, right, and make multiple copies of data. Because then you're setting up a very complex environment to maintain very costly. So you want to be able to virtualize it all, let everything stay where it's at, regardless of what type of data it is, no matter what kind of source it is, and be able to virtualize all that data, right? So you, and that is part of what we mean by making data simple and accessible. Um, the second major component to it is this notion of data ops, which is just because you can get access to your data um, and you virtualize it all doesn't mean that it's quality. It doesn't mean it's the right data. It doesn't mean that you have 360 views of that data. It doesn't mean you're adhering to privacy and compliance, regulatory compliance issues around the data. Um, there's a whole bunch of issues that come to making that data ready for business, you know, making it um, a trusted foundation, if you will, right? And we find that some 80% of clients do not understand the data they need for their AI um, aspirations. And so this modernization effort sort of starts at that thought process. Um, and that's what our Cloud Pack for Data is all about, is that foundational set of services to create a data environment that allows you to begin to climb that ladder to AI. Uh, and then from there, you begin to create new models, deploy AI applications like for customer service or for financial crimes or whatever it may be. Um, so it's sort of a ladder that's sequential, but in some ways you can enter anywhere. So we do have customers that are starting right with a pre-built app like Watson Assistant to automate um, their customer service calls, but they find out very quickly that they're going to need some custom models, that they're generating more data, and then they click, quick, you know, quickly get into the issues of data and data quality. So we're pretty convinced after hundreds and hundreds of engagements around the AI ladder that um, it is a prescriptive approach, and in fact, we believe it's proven. And, um, and obviously, there's a deep level of architecture in each rung, um, there's products that are optimized for it. Uh, there's quite a bit of that goes to the next stage here. But right now, many clients are just trying to get an idea of how do we even get started. So, Scott, I, I, so I got it. And I think you've described that prescription really well. But how do you, the key is, I mean, like when I think marketing, I mean, one thing, there, there's two parts. And I'm probably going to butcher this because I'm, I'm not a marketing person. Maybe I should be. I, I, it's intriguing to me. But um, it's like, You've got to have the longer, deep message, but you've also got to have the shorter, high-level message with meaning to get people to, to to get intrigued and say, "Hey, I get what these guys are doing. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call up my sales rep, and we're gonna get this thing started." Is is that just it? The, the latter day AI, you feel like, "Hey, that's what we've done," and that uh, that that triggers that that initial call, or is there, you know, how do you approach marketing? What is the what is the what is our marketing message outside of that, or is that it? Yeah, so let me, so the AI ladder, the AI ladder is really three things to us. One is, as I said before, we believe it's a prescriptive model on beginning to accelerate your journey to AI. Um, that's one thing. 
and it does go into different layers of depth. Uh, the second thing that it is, it's an organizing construct for our portfolio of offerings. And I will describe that and hopefully a little bit more detail as we get through this podcast. So it's not just a marketing message. There's actual real capabilities and products that uh, implement those different layers in a very modular way. Um, and then the third thing it is, it's our sales model. It's how we engage clients. And so our entire sales force around the globe uses the AI ladder to begin conversations with clients and to explain to them how we can help be your partner to turn your AI aspirations into outcomes. Um, and so the role of marketing in this is a couple of things. One is to get you interested to even talk to our sales team or our technical teams. Uh, so there's a layer of this, which is, you know, getting infused into AI, the buyers, which there's a bunch of different buyer segments and cohorts that make that up and getting our message out that you ought to come at least understand how we can help you and what our vision is and what our differentiators are. Um, so it's really about awareness and interest. Um, from there, we drive people into a next level of depth where we get into the architectures and we get into the capabilities, like I referenced before, data ops into, and virtualization. Um, those aren't products. Those are capabilities. They're architectural components, if you will. Um, so we get to that next layer of an information architecture for AI. And, uh, and then the third stage is obviously to create demand around the actual products that deliver those capabilities. And as we create pipeline, we create demand, that obviously engages the sales team, we create new leads for them, they go off and we help them progress it through progression type tactics, but that's really in the hands of salespeople then take it to the end. Um, and then the final piece of what we do is we take everything that we learn from what's happening in the marketplace and being an expert on, pe on how people buy what they want um, and what they're trying to do with these technologies, we feed that back into product development and offering management into sales to, you know, it's a continuous cycle of teams working together. Um, so what you're seeing with the AI ladder is really the tip of the iceberg because that decomposes down into depth into each rung of the ladder, which ultimately gets to a set of products that implement that. So we got to tell that whole story and do it in a way that we don't, you know, you can't go out too quickly with a lot of depth because then you lose people. You need to start with the, with the big picture and then kind of work your way down. Yeah, so I got it. So here's what I heard, and I'll kind of re restate what Scott said and, and give a little bit of my own perspective here. One is the it's three approaches. The AI ladder is the prescriptive model. We already talked about that. Collect, organize, analyze, and fuse. It's an organizing construct. Think organizational structure. And I will, uh, as a testament to that, I'll say that uh, yeah, we, we are organized within data and AI around that AI ladder. I think it's the right thing. It's all about alignment. And speaking of alignment, then it's the number three, it, it helped dictate the sales model. And is, for our producer, Megan, we need to get um, sales on here in the future. Because the question I was going to ask you, and I know you're marketing, but it kind of ties into sales. Doesn't that make it difficult to sell the product though? There's a lot of, that's a, that's a big, if you look at the cloud pack, which is our microservices architecture that puts that whole ladder in there and all the products they're in, um, that means it those sales guys versus years ago where you knew this product, you knew it to the nth degree and could sell that product. They're selling solutions and they're selling across the portfolio. Isn't that difficult? Um, in some ways it's difficult because you are, as you point out, 
you are selling a solution in a roadmap with a great degree of technical depth, um, really selling an architecture and an approach, right, or a methodology. Um, so that makes it a little bit more difficult. But what counters that, I think, is the fact that you're no longer trying to sell, in our case, 30 to 40 individual siloed products that all have different unique capabilities to them, but don't really become unified with everything else. So we're moving from a world where we would sell, salespeople would have to sell a whole bunch of different products to one, they're selling a solution that leads you to the same place. And that same place is Cloud Pack for Data with the Watson capabilities built into it. It becomes a simpler, a simpler model, right? Um, but that simpler model has more complexity to it. So it's, I think it's somewhat of a trade-off. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, look, in history, over IBM's history, and, and I've been here a little while as well, and it, you know, you have a lot of independent products that have crossover, et cetera, and that makes it difficult. Sometimes you're, you're, you're cross-selling or you have channel conflict just inherently to the products you have. With this strategy we have, and I've said this, and I would say this to my team, so I'm, I'm not exactly a homer here, but it's going to sound like it because I do believe that we've had, we have the best strategy today than we've ever had. And for those people that are listening, when you think of that AI ladder, if you want to look at products underneath it, and again, we talk about solutions uh, and intentionally, as, as Scott just said, but if you look at the top, let's go top down of the ladder we just described, like the top rung would be Watson applications. Those are the pre-built use cases. Next layer would be, hey, you want to build your own machine learning models? So we got Watson Knowledge Catalog for prepare, Watson Studio to build, Watson Machine Learning to run, and Watson OpenScale to manage. All the Watson uh, uh, products to allow you to build, run, deploy, et cetera. That's all built on our database family and governance. And then that, the final rung of the ladder is that uh, a cloud pack for data. And that's a microservices architecture. But the beauty of it is we try to leave that out. And, you, and we try to do our best even on this podcast not to talk about product because it's all about solutions. It's all about technology, uh, et cetera, as, as Scott said. So here's, here's another question I have for you. And we, I mean, like I got a lot. <laughs> but um, you mentioned a lot about virtualizing data. I call that bringing analytics to the data. So... Mm-hmm so clients can get up that ladder and get to AI quickly. I've said this before, I think on the podcast, though I think you got to repeat yourself many times to to have a a concept uh, sink in. And that is a lot of clients I meet, I find that I'm talking about the ladder to AI and in the maturity curve, as I, as I refer to it. And I won't repeat that here, but hopefully everybody understands that you can go back in previous podcasts, but I find out where they are and where they're going. And I feel like a lot of times though, I, I, imagine this like I I would walk off and I look over my shoulder and I find that they're again moving data. Now it's all about cleaning the data, like you said. It's about getting that data estate in a in a in a format in in a, an arrangement that AI can take advantage of it. But I think a lot of clients that I see, they go back to the data and they do what they know. And what they know is, all right, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. I'm going to use a lot of ETL. And sometimes you need to. Don't get me wrong. we got tools for that as well. But And then they start moving data when I say, hey, that works. That works. Leave that there. we got virtualization technologies that are built in our microservices architecture that I just described. Look, don't waste your time there. Your ladder just got you know larger. It's going to take you longer to, to get up that ladder to AI. Do you see it the same way? Are you experiencing the same behavior? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a new concept, and 
frankly, the notion of virtualizing data has been around for some time. The problem in the past is it hasn't been fluid virtualization and it hasn't performed well enough. We believe we've fixed that. And you know, kind of the way I think about it is this whole notion of a hybrid cloud democratizes the data, meaning that hybrid cloud starts to become the platform for where your data needs to be um, accessed, right? And obviously you can't be moving your data um, up into the clouds away from the source. In a hybrid cloud world, your clouds have to move to where your data is. And this technology essentially is allowing you to do that. So um, it is sort of a different concept. And where I think it comes to life for real customers is when they actually do a, you know, a project or they do some kind of testing of it, or they see a demo of Cloud Pack for Data, and you see how simple it is to go out and see your data sources, an Oracle database here, an Excel spreadsheet there, a, um, a sensor feed with event data there, um, DB2 warehouse over there, and you're able to create a virtualized image of the data out of that that you want for your model. When you see it in action, and then you see it actually perform, I think clients then start to think differently about it. Because um, again, you could take your data and replicate it and move it around away from its source, and you can create an AI algorithm that feeds off of it. But what happens when the original data changes, right? And what happens when the AI model produces more data? Where does that data go? Does it go to which copy? Oh, it goes to both copies. Well, how many copies do you have? Well, let's let's put an exponential factor on that. Before you know it, you just created a disaster area of complexity. Um, so we think data virtualization is a fundamental component of a, of a real AI sort of enterprise because you, you just can't be in this world where you're replicating and moving thousands of data sources all over the place. You need to keep the data at its origin, yet be able to make it simple and accessible and be able to use it in a fluid, in a fluid manner. And we think some of our um, technology that we've built with research and IBM and is, is is really starting to solve that problem in a unique way. So your 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 contention is that um, you know in the past because the virtualization technology wasn't there performance wise or otherwise that they, the clients may hear this and they may say ah I got to go back to moving data that's all you know virtualization is a good concept in in theory but in practice it doesn't work. Uh, I could buy that as well. Uh, and, and Frank, I, I do. I agree with that. We have solved that. And we have solved that over the last couple of years in in various forms of our virtual virtualization technology that actually uses some of the, the compute and storage at the source. So they work together in constellations so that it solves that performance issue that you mentioned. So I, I, I agree with that. But there was one question. Where was I going to go with this? Um, by the way, I believe it, I believe we have a study out somewhere on the website that it's some five hundred five hundred percent faster to virtualize the data than it was um, compared to older technology. So the, the performance of it has been significantly ramped up, and it's not just because of the compute power; it's because of the architectural design and um, and, and the approach that they took which right. is pretty sophisticated. So, um, yeah. So I, we think that when customers see it, they love it. And we have some pretty significant projects going on with it. And we're very comfortable that that's the wave of the future. Yeah, my last team spearheaded that with research. So uh, 
it is amazing in terms of how they've uh, streamlined the architecture and again use compute uh, at the at the source uh, to work together, etc. And to your point, I remember what I was going to say now. You know, the, the real problem that I see is sometimes we it's difficult. I mean, the, the, you you mentioned it to start the the podcast here that it's all about data and sometimes we can't get out of our own way. Like I visited a client and uh, they said, look, I got, I got 10 times the data that I need. And I said, no, what do you mean by that? You know, the more data you have, the, the, the better decisions. He said, no, you don't understand. I got 10 X redundant data that I need. We've been moving data for so many years that I don't even know where it is. I don't know. I have one source of the data. I got major issues. So to your point, the last thing you want to do is continue to push new data only to get you know, turn your data lakes into data swamps and then get redundancy where you don't need it. Uh, so I get it. Our audience likes to get a little input around you personally. So I've got a couple of quick questions for you. First one is, is uh, outside of the workplace, what do you do for fun? What I do for, well, I have three kids, three boys. I got three um, girls. This is a problem. I mean, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So obviously, obviously, I spend a ton of time with them. You know, my middle son <clears throat> plays um, D1 baseball, Jason. So I spent a lot of time doing that. I'm an avid football fan. Um, I lost 30 pounds this year, so I work out all the time now, both weight training and running. So um, I used to do it all the time, then I stopped and got bigger, and then now I'm back into it. So I spent a lot of time um, doing that, and uh, I guess that's all I do. I eat a lot. That's why I have to work. <laughs> well, that's, that's a, the good news. Yeah, that's why you got to work out, right? So yeah. any. Any uh, any routine that you say, hey, this has been the key to my success, and because I work out as well, I use Insanity P90X. I kind of swap between that, then I go for a run. Anything that you use that you'd recommend in terms of exercising? Yeah, what exercise routine? Yeah. Well, I think it's just you, you do it no matter what. I mean, no excuses, right? Unless you're like half dead, you know, get your ass out there. In fact, I just had you know, interesting enough on Friday, I had a tooth extracted um, that I had fractured. Yeah, and they say you're not supposed to exercise for seven days. Yeah, so I didn't Friday, I didn't Saturday, I didn't Sunday, but I did it yesterday, and I'm going to do it today. The hell with it, right? Um, you just got to do it. And what if you get like three or four hours of sleep? Still exercise? You in on that? Yeah, I'm in on that. I mean, so I've been doing it. I think I this year I think I've averaged probably six times a week, and I I I was for at a time doing. I would go and work out, like do weights for an hour and fifteen minutes, and then go run four miles. Um, I'm trying to, I'm trying to better balance all that. So, but I try to either do weights or run every day except one day. That tends to be Thursday, and you just got to stick to it. And I think what you that find tends to be is what, what day? What day do you take off? Did you say? It tends to be Thursday for some reason. Thursday. Um, there is huh. a day off. Has but you got to plan around that. So why is it for some reason? I would think that you would know. I don't know. So you get to a point where Need you know, I guess the week the weekends come in, and that's probably when I do the most. And uh, travel wise, like I'm in Austin now. I'll be going back Thursday, so it would make it hard anyhow. And I don't know. It just tends to be on Thursdays. But I think the key is I do it six times a week. Sometimes it's five. And I think you have to have the mentality that says. I, I'm just going to do it. And the other thing I've learned with this whole thing is the first couple of months may be tough, but if you stick to it, then it becomes second nature and you actually miss it. Um, like I missed it this week, last weekend because I, I wasn't supposed to do it because of the tooth, but you get right back to it. As soon as you break that and you go a week or two, then you got to start all over again. So once you get into it, stick to it. And 
you'll feel better, you'll sleep better, you'll have more energy. Um, you know, and you do, you do weights and cardio every day? Um, yeah. Now, I, the last couple of times I've done, no, I don't do weights every day. I do weights, I, I do cardio almost every day, except for that, you know, six days a week. And maybe I do three or four times, depends. I do weights, but then after the weights, I would also do cardio. What I'm trying to do now is just do 20 minutes of cardio after the weights rather than like four miles. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to, because I think I'm, I'm going to burn myself out. Um, yeah, you need to be careful. But you get into it and, you know, oh, that, oh, and drink, that and drink a lot of water. And I think, I think you know, I've learned this too, by the way. I've, someone brought it up at work, actually at least did. Um, and then you actually look into the stats. Some 80% of people don't hydrate themselves enough every day. They don't drink enough water. And just by drinking enough water all day and doing some exercise, it's like a whole new world. For me, it's a whole new world. I feel, I feel 10 times better than I used to and have 10 times more energy. And it's just doing that. I still eat like terribly. I mean, I'm going to go have beef ribs tonight and, you know, go crazy. But as long as you're exercising <laughs> and drinking water, you'll be fine. You know what? I will say this, and I think your reference to Elise is Elise Passarelli, who leads sales and data and AI. But the... Uh, I would say, and I've seen her do that pitch, she's big into water, but I am 100% behind that, in that I, I used to get headaches and you know, all different kinds of, of symptoms. And since then, I, I, I've been excessive around water. I don't know why. I think we get older and we just quit drinking water. I don't know what it is, or it's got a taste. It's got to have some kind of taste to it or something or you don't drink. And since I've like, you know, I started, and you get into a habit, right? Just like the exercising. Once you start drinking it, then you start drinking more of it. And then it becomes routine. But the more water you drink, the better I feel. And there, there's actually studies that show your 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 brain on uh, hydrated and non-hydrated. And I mean, it's it, it's enough to scare you. And I think yeah, we've got a real epidemic. <laughs> it uh, was in it was in February that she talked about that in one of the Rob Thomas's meetings. Yes, and I remember thinking to myself. God, you know, like I go the whole day without drinking water. <laughs> then I go home and I, you know, and and so she got it on my mind. And this was part when I started. I started exercising too. So they did these at the same time. But mm-hmm. I bet you, even if I didn't exercise, I'd be feeling better because I, I realized how chronically dehydrated I was. And I had those headaches too, and I had GERD, and and a lot of that stuff has completely gone away from me. I can't remember the last time I've had woken up in the middle of the night with a headache, and it's either because of the exercising or the water or both. But yeah, I, think I think it's worth, sometimes you get so busy at work solving the world's AI problems that yeah. you don't take care of yourself. And for someone who's 40, as we pointed out earlier, yeah, I agree. Hey, uh, another question, quick question. How do you learn? Because what, what did stand out to me is that in marketing, I know there's, I, I won't say this, but certainly not you. Some people seem to be maybe mailing it in or something. They're just doing the marketing part. But if you know the technology, you can be deadly. And obviously, you know the technology uh, in depth. If you're not doing development, if you're not necessarily supporting the client every day, how do you get in and really learn those technologies? Because you reference deep learning, et cetera. How do you get it? I read. Um, real example, I, fl- I got up at 4.30 in the morning, got to the airport, um, flew down to Austin, So what's a three and a half hour flight? So on that flight today, I read a McKinsey McKinsey, um, report on, I I forgot what they called it, but something about scaling AI in the enterprise. Mm -hmm. Um, I did 
a little bit of research on a, what a data lake is versus data fabric uh, versus um, um, a data hub. And I ended up getting into Amazon has a website for AWS on data lakes and how they describe it, which is not Hadoop, by the way. Um, and then, so I just, I, I do a lot of Googling and I have something on my mind, like what is, you know, I'm just trying to think of an example. Like, I guess the data lake is a good example. So you just start thinking about this stuff or you see it referenced a lot. The best thing to do is go Google it and read about it. So I, I tend to do a lot of reading and I also tend to try to read, I read every single client story or reference or sales note I can because I, I find it fascinating how people really think about this and use it. So I think it's just a lot of having that curiosity and the passion to care about what you do that you, it drives you to learn more and more. So it's, for me, that's reading and talking to people. And, you know, I've learned some stuff from you, too, just on this call. Right. Um, <laughs> so right. so let me let me let me finish with this. Uh, this is a um, quick game. It's just a bulleted game and it's called underrated or overrated. So I'm going to give you a, a topic. You, you got to pick a side. Right. Okay. You got to own it. Uh, and you fall over one side of the fence or the other. The first one is the cloud. Is it underrated or overrated? Overrated. <laughs> Hybrid cloud. Underrated. AirPods. Underrated. We, we talked about that. You got a, You did have an AirPod problem, though, but you still love them. And if they don't come out with black soon or some other color besides white, then I'm going to give them overrated. But for now, underrated. <laughs> All right. Watson. Uh, underrated. People don't hey. know what it is. Yes, that's that. We, we got to work on that, right? Yes. Uh, we talked about that in one of my last podcasts. Uh, a double E degree, electrical engineering. Um, that is underrated because if you don't know how to apply it like me, then it just is a waste of drinking time at college. <laughs> Data science. Um, underrated. All right, marketing. Underrated. <laughs> the New York subway. That, that was that was an IQ test. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was, but you know, I do. You never know. I've been surprised uh, with this game before, to be honest with you. Uh, underrated. And I would have, many years ago, I would have said overrated for the New York City subway, but I've grown to really love the subway there. And it, I don't even take cabs anymore where I used to do it all the time. Once you get to know the subway and you know what you're doing, um, it's great. And I'd say it's underrated. Broncos. Denver Broncos. They are they are as far overrated as you can get this year. They're awful. <laughs> All right, Kansas City Chiefs, my team. I would say they're um, underrated because of your uh, your quarterback there, Mahomes. Mahomes, Mahomes. He's, he's magic. He's magical, and magical quarterbacks win Super Bowls. Oh God, I wish I, I just only hope we got a defense that'll that'll they'll make that come true. Run All defense. Right. Thank you, Scott. Where can people reach more? I mean, is it best on LinkedIn? We'll put in the show notes. Where can people reach you? Um, it would be either LinkedIn, Twitter, or email. So, and I think LinkedIn and Twitter are SL Hebner, H-E-B-N-E-R. So either of those two. Okay. Fantastic. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Folks, thank you for listening. We greatly appreciate it. And as always, as I always say, please give us your feedback. You know, rate us on, on whatever flavor you're listening to this podcast in. But also send us uh, any kind of information, comments, questions, concerns, suggestions for guests on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. I thank you so much. And until till next time, I'll see you on the podcast. See you all. 
Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out.